Hello and welcome to another episode of a Brother's Creed podcast. We're talking about motivation, experiences, and we explore the world around us. We are the Thomas Brothers, and I'm Jared. I'm Ethan. Today we're going to be talking about a very interesting phenomenon called mass hysteria, right? When you have uh, something that happens to maybe one person or a couple people in a group, and then for some reason, everyone gets in on it for some reason. Somehow they're convinced or their uh, mental state is altered in some way to where they join in on something that maybe has a little bit of truth or maybe is just completely ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, so it can be really interesting. We're going to give a lot of different examples. And then... Some modern examples. And also, I'm going to dive deep into a historic example. Yeah. Some, uh, some really interesting stuff. So let's get into it. Let's do it. Spartans! What is your profession? Any man who must say, I am the king, is no true king. What I do have are a very particular set of skills. Skills that make me a nightmare. If I can change, and you can change, everybody can change! Let us all unite! Let us fight for a new world! A decent world! All right. First, we're going to talk for a second about um, mass hysteria and going to give some examples about that. The the first thing I thought about whenever I was thinking about this was, uh, do you ever watch House, the show House? Mm -hmm. Right. So House was a a doctor who was kind of crass, but he was really good at uh, solving medical mysteries and stuff. So Dr. Dr. Cuddy, she was hot. Yeah. She's like, she's like my 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 your uh, middle crush. school crush. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um. So there's this one episode I remember. It's called Airborne, right? And they were on an airplane. House and actually Doctor Cuddy were on an airplane. It was like an 18 hour flight from England to the U.S. And there was one. I remember this episode. There was yeah. one guy on the plane who. Uh, he ends up, he's just, you know, acting really funny and acting really weird and everything else. And and then uh, he ends up getting sick. And mid-flight, he ends up throwing up and going into convulsions and gets this really bad rash and passes out on the on the plane. So everybody's freaking out on the plane and, and um, everybody's like, you know, oh, you know, what's going on? What's going on? And, and... Uh, House, obviously, he's like this medical doctor who's, you know, investigative medical doctor. And so he jumps in and tries to figure out what's going on with this guy. Well, uh, there's another gal on the plane that she she goes, what's wrong with that guy? Is he sick? And House is like, well, yeah, uh, obviously. And then she's like, well, I don't feel very good either. And now she throws up and... Now she's got this really bad rash and she's feeling, you know, got, you know, abdominal pain, all this different kind of stuff. And then um, they're, they're just kind of thinking, well, what is this? Is this some kind of outbreak? Is this some kind of, yeah. you know, toxic thing? And so he's going through all the different things. He's like, you know, I sometimes on these planes they use uh, chemicals that, uh, you know, to, to kill all the bugs. And sometimes they do this and do that. And he's trying to think of all these different potential outcomes that it might be. And so, um, and then they, uh, 
they this guy just keeps getting worse and worse and worse and worse. The and first guy. The yeah. first guy did. The, and, and there's a couple other people, including Dr. Cuddy, that they get sick. They're, they're feeling abdominal pains. They're getting this weird rash, and they're, you know, throw up, and there's like four or five other people on the plane, all over the plane that are getting sick, and other people are starting to not feel good either. And finally, House uh, comes up with this crazy thing that this guy has some kind of like ruptured something in his body and they need to do surgery on him on the airplane. And so he makeshift puts together some kind of like, you know, scalpel out of a razor blade on the plane and he's going to operate on this guy. Um, But he ends up finding out that uh, the guy was kind of unconscious but still feeling pain and kind of writhing in pain. But whenever he was just about to cut into him, everybody was holding him down on the ground. There's like three or four people that were holding him down. And whenever they pushed on his joints, he felt relief from his pain. And so they they he stopped. He didn't cut into him. And he went to the guy's wallet. And he looked up and he, he was had a scuba diving license in his wallet and a receipt for the day that the day before for uh, from a scuba shop where he had been scuba diving. And so they figured out that he had the bends, which is where you, you're scuba diving and you, you come up too fast and then you go and get in a pressurized airplane that's going up to a higher altitude and there's like, basically there's pockets of air in yeah. your bloodstream that's extremely painful and can cause all kinds of issues. Um, and so that was his, that was what happened to him. But what's happening to everyone else on the plane? Yeah. And so... House kind of goes to the plane. He gets the uh, the intercom, and he tells everybody, "Oh, we figured out what it was. This guy's got you know bacterial meningitis. This extremely contagious. And first, you start feeling, you get abdominal pains, and then vomiting, and then you get chills. And he went through all these symptoms that like some of these people were feeling. And then he was like, and then the last thing you'll start feeling is your left hand will start." Uh, having the the tremors and everybody was like their hands started shaking and they're like oh I, I have it I have it you yeah. know everybody's freaking out and he the, the last symptom that he said was just a complete BS symptom but <laughs> yeah. because everyone was so convinced that they were sick and there was a sickness on the plane and all this kind of stuff it it created this kind of this mass hysteria where people were legitimately getting sick yeah uh, physically, because of it's almost just because of a a, a mental crisis, um, yeah, and so uh, he it was it was it was a a a mini epidemic of psychological origins is what oh, they called it. Interesting. Um, and so he ends up telling everybody that everybody's fine. He's like, you guys have we we all have a problem, but the problem is it's called uh. Uh, conversion disorder or mass hysteria where you get a bunch of people together that believe a certain thing and it's almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy. Um, and so I I just thought that story, I mean, that's a TV show and I was yeah. like, oh, that, that can't happen. That, that, that's crazy. But it can. Yeah, well, there yeah. are crazy stories about people that get sick or do crazy things just as kind of a, a a sense of kind of joining the pack. And so I have a couple examples in, uh, and these are very well recorded examples. So 
1962 in Tanzania, there were three female students at this college that began laughing uncontrollably. Um, and apparently they were laughing for no reason. It was just, they just started laughing and getting the giggles and laughing and laughing and laughing. And so it, it got so persistent and it spread to other students to the school that they, they ended up having to close the school down and they sent all the kids home and they called it an epidemic of laughter. Um, and it became, they said there are worse epidemics. Yeah, there are. (laughs) So they sent all these kids home and then it was almost like a contagious thing. These kids kept laughing, and it spread to the villages and the villagers. And finally, they had to just tell everyone to like stay in your house. Don't leave. Don't spread this laughter. I mean, it's just it's laughter, but yeah. it was so bad that affected individuals, quote-unquote, reported feeling like crazy like really restless and fearful because of what was going on people that were like laughing it was like they couldn't stop and it was just affecting their lives and it was really weird so they huh. did they did some some pretty in-depth scientific investigations large-scale investigations into it but they couldn't they thought maybe there was some kind of chemical that got released in the school or maybe it was you know some kind of toxins or something but there was nothing. There was no biological issues or environmental contaminants. Uh, it w- everything was completely normal. So what what caused it? There was a couple doctors that concluded that the nature of the problem was psychological rather than biological. Uh, that specifically it was mass hysteria was to blame for this specific incident. And that a condition that mass hysteria is a condition that stems from uh, the human propensity to exhibit something called emotional contagion. And so basically what that is, is that you, uh, you kind of become, you match the emotional, emotional state of those around you to a certain extent. And it can be so strong to the point of like, I guess... <laughs> crazy like just creating just, all these uh, yeah, bizarre laughing yeah. yeah uh there was there's another one so it, it, oh, what a powerful example of what the mind is capable of and also how impressionable the mind is you think the government knows this and they pre- program us through tv oh, yeah. programming you know oh yeah yeah um isn't that what mock uh, the operation mockingbird was is like literally the cia's programming of america I don't know. That's for a different episode. Yeah, it's a different <laughs> episode. Um, I just uh, I just finished the book a couple weeks ago, 1984, um, and it's crazy. It's just like the the uh, the propensity that people have just to like it, it, like well, like I think we said in a previous episode that people together are 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 dumb, uh-huh. but individually smart. are smart. Yeah. Uh, there was another one. There was a, 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 a um, what do they call it? A convent, which is like a, a place where nuns uh, live. Mm-hmm. And it was really interesting. There was a, so there was a, a in the early 19th century, and even before that, there was quite a few mass hysteria events that were recorded around convents and 
they actually say that supposedly women are more susceptible to mass hysteria events than men are. Um, but there, they gave this one example of this, uh, convent that basically, um, it was a uh, favorable circumstances for a collective breakout because the, the convents were, because it was a, a bunch of women were gathered together. They were living isolated from society they were submitted to a very highly stressful environment, including, you know, religious rituals and severe punishments for breaking rules. And a lot of them were, you know, near starvation type diets. Well, one of the oldest uh, re- reported occurrences of a mass hysteria event was this one uh, French convent that uh, one of the nuns inexplicably began to meow like a cat. And so she would just meow for like a couple hours a day. And that was all she would communicate. Right. So hmm. afterwards there was a couple nuns in the, in that same convent that they started to meow as well. <laughs> and then, and I mean, this is like, this is funny, but this is like recorded history. Was that you ever seen super so, troopers? Yeah. He's like, I need your license, meow. Yeah, right. <laughs> I'm gonna need that right, meow. You know how fast you're going, meow. Um, so eventually, all the nuns in this convent adopted the practice of meowing altogether every single day at a certain time for like several hours, and it was just like, why wow. are you meowing? The devil's here. Yeah, and so it was. It was so absurd that it was like this this mass hysteria event that everyone was just and and they would say that oh i i just can't help it you know it's it's the you know i don't know so the surrounding community was like a big christian community they they found this so astonishing and like frightening that they they contacted the authorities who posted uh several groups of soldiers with uh rods they would like like a like a staff that the, all the entrances to the convent and basically they threatened the nuns that if any of, if they heard any of them meowing that they would uh, basically whip them or, or hit them with this stick. Mm-hmm. And uh, it said that the meowing ended, um, Oh, it ended up being, Oh, and it said that the, the, the threat of whipping the nuns stopped the, the meowing and it ended and it proved to be an effective way to, Cease the daily cat concerts. <laughs> I wonder if they made like a, a choir of meows. <laughs> meow, 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 meow. Yeah. So there's all kinds of stories of people. There was There's a story in, in 2011 in New York where this one girl in this school, she came down with Tourette's and she just started, you know, uh, said that she had Tourette's and, and would say things and yell things and, and have tics or whatever else. It was 2011. And then uh, another girl in the same school, she came out and she she or she came down with Tourette's as well. There was a total of twenty five girls at this school came down oh my with Tourette's at the same school, and they were like, "What's going on?" Including a thirty six year old nurse, oh my, that gosh. worked at the school. Yeah, and it's like. You know what's going on, and so they did all these studies in the school. Interesting how, it's, like you said, women yeah, were affected. Yeah. 
tested the water and did everything they could, and it, it, it was nothing. They found one, or no, they found two girls in that hole that had, one girl actually did have Tourette's, I guess they can test for it somehow, did have Tourette's, and the other one had like a mild case of something else. But after they, I mean, they like separated them all, they went to counseling and all the kind of stuff, and then it said by the end of that year, 19 of them had recovered completely from Tourette's. <laughs> right? It sounds like, what the heck? It sounds like a convenient excuse to get out of classes. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Um, you know, or there's the example of, remember back uh, when, before the TV was invented, the, um, and they just had the radio and uh-huh. people would gather around the radio. Oh, World of the Worlds. Yeah, yep. they'd gather around the radio at night and listen to the radio. And uh, the, the radio station came out with this basically... Uh, a, a play or some sort of presentation, right? It was called War of the Worlds where aliens were invading and everything else. And people thought it was real. Oh, yeah. And, uh, I mean, a huge portion of the population thought it was real. And there was, they, I mean, they had to come out with newspaper articles saying it's not real, it's not real, it's not real because people, and they were freaking out and they are running for the hills because the aliens were invading. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well, it's just like, <laughs> dude, <laughs> that's not, you know, and the last one I had was uh, whenever people went and remember when, or we were, were we weren't alive. I think it was like the '60s or the '70s whenever The Exorcist came out. Oh yeah, the movie theater people yeah. were losing their minds. People were like vomiting and becoming possessed in the movie theater. Now maybe I don't know. Maybe some of that was possession because they were allowing people, you know, demons in or something like that. But a lot of maybe it's just people just getting this mass hysteria that were. Just yeah. going crazy. Yeah. Well, you think about like this mass hysteria, these mass emotions. You think about like Jim, uh, think about what Jim Jones, is that who uh, went down to Brazil, Jonestown, and he had everybody drink the Kool-Aid? Thousands. Oh, yeah. Or, or at least hundreds. I don't know yeah. how many there was, but they all were so brainwashed and maybe they all had this mass hysteria. I don't know if it was mass hysteria or brainwashed, but that, that emotion was so strong that they all drank the Kool-Aid and they all committed suicide. Yeah, mass suicide. Yeah, so I just thought some of those were just really interesting examples of things that. Well, you think about the, the the power of the mind, and you, and you don't think some of that's been at play with this whole COVID thing. Oh yeah, and that was one thing that I was looking at on that. I looked up this thing on the when I was looking for that episode of House to give a little d- definition description of it. There was a comment at the end, and so, and the one person said, "This sounds a lot like 2020." Yes. I mean, everybody's like, oh my gosh, I'm going to get this thing. And like, if you could literally have, I have a cough, I have a cough, you know? And so imagine how much hysteria where your body can actually manifest these types Mm -hmm. of symptoms just because you're scared of getting, or or you're like, oh, it's happening. The numbers are rising. You see that, you know, maybe you just have a really bad cold or you have the flu maybe, but then you see that positive COVID test. Now I'm going to die. Oh, I'm going to, you know, it's just like everything is so much worse just because of that one thing. And the t- tests are all BS anyway. Well, yeah, if it's even accurate. So one of the most famous examples, I'm going to dive a little bit deeper into this yep. one. Ethan's gave some, Ethan gave some great uh, uh, information. The one he didn't give, but I'll give a two-second recap that you're telling me off-air, was uh, the Pokemon oh, yeah. episode where a bunch of kids in China saw this Pokemon episode. Japan, yeah. Japan. A couple of them had epileptic seizures, uh, and then the news on the news are like, hey... 
be careful of watching this Pokemon episode because you could have seizures. And then like they played that part on the news. It was like Pikachu flashing his thunderbolts or whatever. Uh And yeah, there was like 12,000 kids ended up going to the hospital because of for epileptic or whatever, you know, or nausea or whatever else. And it was just because none of them were actually sick. It was just because they said from the report, this is what could happen. And then they showed the video and then everybody and then everybody got sick from it. Yeah. So imagine if they told you, "Don't leave your house, or you're gonna die from coronavirus." You know, you don't think that can have an equal mental mental impact? I mean, I, I just think that this is not something that just happened a long time ago. This no. happens today. It's happened a long time ago. This is a human condition that we have to understand. And one of the ones I'm going to talk about actually did happen a while but a while ago. Uh, but this it's well known as the Salem witch trials. Now, there is so much to this, and I want to kind of I do a little bit of a deep dive on some of this because there's some very interesting things. So the Salem Witch Trials were a series of hearings and prosecutions of people accused of witchcraft in colonial Massachusetts between February 1692 and 1693. So really that winter uh, was when it happened. So uh, more than 200 people were accused, 30 were found guilty, 19 of whom were executed by hanging, uh, 14 women and five men. Uh, one other man was actually pressed to death. So basically, you, you put painful. rocks on him, and, and you they put rocks on you until you're basically crushed. It's kind of like a stoning. Like when you think about medieval, like it's a slow stoning. Yeah. Well, when you, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, I've heard that like stoning in the Bible, when that what that really is, they would just put rocks on you until you, you couldn't breathe anywhere and died. It wasn't like hey, everybody chuck rocks at them. It wasn't necessarily like that. It was more of just like a crushing. Hmm. Interesting. Um, so and he died that way because he refused to plead uh, guilty of this. And then at least five other people were just died in jail. So there's this episode in colonial America is, is one of the most notorious cases of mass hysteria. According to the uh, George Lincoln Burr, the Salem witchcraft was the rock on which theocracy was shattered. And so it's interesting how, you, how the government was was basically the church at that time because it was mm-hmm. the Puritans. And so they say that this event really separated that that out, uh, and it made a lot of precedence in law uh, for what constitutes you know, someone actually being guilty or whatever and, and, and worth the punishment of death. Um, so a little bit of background here. In Massachusetts, the, the government was primarily made of Puritan uh, secular leaders. The, the Puritans were similar to, they had similar beliefs to the Church of England, Except they didn't believe, uh, and they have several deviations. Nearly, mainly, some of the ones that were listed online was like they don't kneel for communion, uh, they don't believe in the book of prayer, uh, they don't wear the clergy uh, vest- vestments, uh, and, and a couple other things. Uh, but from the name, you could probably guess Puritans. They were very straight, very religious, very straight laced. Yeah. Uh, so. Uh, th- Talking about these, some of these people who were accused, and so there's this now. Which trials have gone on have happened in Europe, going way back? In fact, uh, one of the trials that I thought was shocking was there was one that was in North Berwick, uh, which the North Berwick witch trials were the first major trials in Scotland, uh, but many followed, claiming an estimated total of three thousand to four thousand lives. Between 1560 and 1707. It's like 150 years. 
Yeah. So, and a lot of these people were royalty. They just accused of witchcraft. And so that's one thing I think is crazy. And I'm sure you'll probably get into it, but it's almost like the whole like communist thing in, in, you know, the cold war era United States. It's just like, they're commie. And it's just like, that's like the worst thing that you could possibly call someone. And then their whole life ruin their whole life. Yeah. I'll talk about that too. That's called McCarthyism. And that's actually why the crucible was written kind of as an analogy to McCarthyism. And, and so I'll talk about that a little bit later, but uh, it's so, so a little more of background on some of these people that were accused. So the overwhelming majority of people accused and convicted of witchcraft were women, uh, about 78%. Overall, the Puritan belief and prevailing New England culture was that women were inherently sinful and more susceptible to damnation than a man than men were. Hmm. Uh, women ha- have, this is some of the reasons why women have weak bodies and therefore are easier for the devil to overtake. <laughs> uh, women would more easily confess. Well, also women more, would much more easily confess to being witches to spare their lives than men would. So because of that, they're like, Oh, well more women are witches then. Yeah. Just because they're more willing to confess, you know, to, to that. save themselves. Uh, so it really started out with like quarrels with neighbors often incited witchcraft allocations. And one example, uh, Abigail Faulkner, who was accused in 1692, Faulkner admitted she was angry at what folks said, and the devil may have temporarily overtaken her, causing harm to her neighbors. Uh, Women who did not conform to the norms of the Puritan society were more likely to be targeted, you know, or with accusations, especially those who were unmarried or did not have children. Some of the examples here of the supposed witchcraft. So Mather, uh, this uh, one author, illustrates how uh, Goodwin's eldest uh, child, uh, this was someone who was living back then, had been tempted by the devil and had stolen linen from the washroom. Uh, Goody, washer, washerwoman Goody Glover, gl- uh of the Irish Catholic de- Glover of the Irish Catholic descent was characterized as a disagreeable old woman and described by her husband as a witch. <laughs> uh, this may be, this may have been why she was accused of casting spells on Goodwin children. After the event of four out of six Goodwin children began to have strange fits, uh, or what people refer to as disease of astonishment. <gasps> So the disease, astonishing. the disease of astonishment, the manifestations attributed to these disease quickly became associated with witchcraft. Symptoms included neck and back pains, tongue being drawn from their throats. I'm not sure what that means. Yeah. Uh, I got neck and back pains right now. That's just from lifting so much weight. Yeah. Uh, and loud random outcries. Uh, other symptoms included having no control over their bodies, such as becoming limp, limber, flapping their arms like birds, or trying to harm others as well as themselves. These symptoms fueled the craze in 1962. Well, and I think, and you probably get into this too, maybe I'm ruining the story, but I think a lot of people would just fake these symptoms and say, oh, so-and-so cast a spell on me, or so-and-so did this, and they'll just fake symptoms to make everybody believe that they're actually doing those. Yeah, but then I think mass hysteria set in, and some of them would actually believe that they had these symptoms. That is true, yeah. And so, you know, some of these different, I want to go through some of the different examples of people that were accused. 
there was uh, two 12 year old girls that were going around accusing everybody. If you've ever read The Crucible, which you probably, if you're, yeah, or watched the movie, I watched the movie, which is great. Middle, Daniel I mean, Day Lewis. It was in middle school, I think. Yeah, Daniel Day Lewis is in that movie. It's yeah. an excellent movie. Uh, it's kind of based off this loosely, uh, but they're accusing a bunch of people around the city. So, one, one girl named Sarah Good, uh, at her trial, she was accused of rejecting Puritan ideals of self control and discipline when she chose to torment and scorn children instead of lending leading them towards the path of salvation. Her four-year-old daughter, uh, Dorothy, was also accused of being a witch, and they would bring her before the the tribunal, and they would ask her questions, and her answers were misconstrued to, like, basically as a confession that her mother was a a witch. Four years old. Four years old, old. yeah. Uh, Another girl, Sarah Osborne, uh, rarely attended church meetings. She was uh, accused of witchcraft because... uh, the Puritan believes believed that Osborne had her own self interests in mind following her remarriage uh, to an indentured servant. Uh, the citizens of the town disapproved of her trying to control her son's inheritance from her previous marriage. So, she's a witch. Oh yeah. Uh, another girl, burner. Yeah. Another lady, lady named Tibua was an enslaved South African Indian woman from the West Indies, likely because became a target because of her ethnic differences from most of the other villages. She was accused of attracting uh, girls like Abigail Williams and Betty Paris with stories of enchantments from uh, this, this, this old book. These tales about sexual encounters with demons sway, swaying the minds of men and fortune-telling were said to stimulate the imaginations of the girls and made uh, Titabua uh, an obvious target of accusations. Definitely a witch. You know, she's, she's from the West Indies. She kind of... Yeah, different. Just, Anybody different. Yeah, exactly. Gotta be a witch. Uh, a con- this other girl, Martha, a convert to the church who expressed skepticism about the credibility of the girls' accusations... And thus, she drew attention to herself. Was yeah. was yeah. just to be because a witch. just because you say, oh, wait, let's take a step back and let's just yeah. talk about this first. Oh, she's a witch must too. A witch you too. must be protecting the witches. Exactly. Another one here, uh, Giles Corey, an eighty-one-year-old farmer from the southwest end of Salem, refused to enter a plea when he came to trial in September. The judges applied uh, that crushing method that I told you about, uh, in which the stones were piled on his chest until he could no longer breathe. After two days of that, he died without entering a plea. At 80, 81? 81. Jeez. Um, so one of the parts about this I find fascinating is the examination process. So some of the ac- accusations people would make is, uh, well, I'll talk about it. Uh, the examination, one of the interesting things is a physical examination. So the initial examinations included physical exams, where the accused were examined for unique markings such as moles, birthmarks, that were commonly believed to be associated with the devil's influence. It was thought that those making re- that those markings represented the devil drinking the accused woman's blood. Like a wart? Yeah. On their nose? Exactly. Or or a, 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 a mole, a or, mole something, or a birthmark. That's the devil. That's the deal you've made with the devil. He's drinking your blood now. Uh, another one was called spectral evidence. And this is really an interesting one because uh, many uh, of the accused were by people that said, oh, well, they appeared to me as a specter or like a, a ghost, and they tormented me in my nightmares. 
uh, and the testimony of the afflicted who claimed to be who claimed to see the apparition or the shape of a person who was allegedly afflicting them. So that seems hard to prove. Exactly. And so there was actually a guy who wrote a book about how spectral evidence shouldn't really be considered in law because it's it's a fig- very hard a figment to prove. of your yeah. imagination. Exactly. So you could say, Oh, I saw the, that's the person who I saw that was haunting my house last night and then all of a sudden that person's a witch. And there's no evidence for that. And so uh, another one was called the touch test. If the accused witch touched the victim while the victim was having a fit and it's and the fit stopped, observers believed that meant the accused was the person who had afflict, afflicted the victim. So what they would do is they would blindfold uh, these women and they would have them go touch various people uh, and... Or, or, and also blindfold the people that were twitching yeah. or whatever. And it would say, okay, if they've stopped twitching, well, you must, they must have stopped twitching because you're the one you're that the cast, one that cast the spell, a spell yeah. on them. And so obviously a lot of loose um, uh, guidelines, guidelines or, there. Or yeah, exactly. Or whatever, evidence. Uh, and it's kind of interesting. The, the, the trials ended not necessarily because people stopped believing in witches, but just because... Uh, it really ended. There was a one author said that points out that they ended because people stopped believing in the trials were doing any effective job at identifying who were witches. And on October 29, 1692, Philip dissolved the court of Oyer and and Terminer, which was the court that would send his only people to death, as a decision to that marked the beginning of the end of the Salem witch trials. By May of 1693, uh, Phipps had pardoned and released all those remaining in prison on witchcraft charges. And then later, those who were part of that court uh, had apologized and, and said that they were wrong and all this kind of stuff. And it's just really interesting. Uh, the Crucible, which I had mentioned prior, was written about this, but it was also kind of written about McCarthyism. So there was a, a, a senator during you know, post-war, uh, 1940s, 1950s, uh, that his last name was McCarthy. And it, McCarthyism is the practice of making accusations of subversion and treason, especially when related to communism and socialism. It was characterized by the heightened political regret, repression and persecution of the left-wing individuals and a campaign sp- uh, spreading fear of alleged communist and socialist influence in America, institutions, and of espionage by Soviet agents. Also, this is what was called the Red Scare, uh, during the cl- the Cold War era, yeah. So, I mean, obviously, I think that we should not uh, be communists and socialists in this country. But when you start accusing people with very little grounds, uh, and then you create this mass hysteria where we're just accusing people left and right with very little evidence, uh, it, it it creates that mass hysteria or like a mass paranoia uh, that is very dangerous. Um, so. I think that's a interesting, such a deep dive in, in, into the Salem witch trials, and there was many other trials, but it's just so interesting how uh, that piece of history is still repeating today. And if you think that people can't have mass hysteria today, you're you're kidding yourself. Yeah, well, I, I think it's almost easier to have mass hysteria today because the amount of communication that that exists today, and I think it can go yeah. for I think it can go for for all different kinds of information. You know, you think. Well, a video goes viral, mm-hmm. or you know, a, a a TikTok goes viral, and even 
if the information is not true or it's skewed in a certain way, now everyone is going to believe that, or at least, you know, a large portion of the people that saw it when it went viral. So it's kind of interesting, you know. I had another another kind of thought on, I, I, I thought, why does this happen? Like, what, what chemically in your body happens when you're kind of convinced of something? And so, you know, I, I had mentioned here, oh, you know, you don't like your neighbor, so you're going to call him a witch or whatever. Or, you know, maybe it goes even further than that. And just because maybe it starts out with the first couple, they're just trying to get back at a neighbor or whatever else and calling him a witch. But then maybe it's people start to think that, oh, my bad luck or my kids acting this way or the bad luck that I had in my family is because of someone else. And then they use that as almost like a scapegoat for, you know, oh, that person must have cast a spell on me. And so it's my bad luck is a spell from them. And then, oh, this other person has bad luck. And so maybe they're under a spell too. And it's just like, it just, it's just like snowball effect. And so it was really interesting. There was a, a study that was done um, in, in 1974 that was testing the theory of kind of mass hysteria and how we perceive things, how our mind perceives things. And so basically they took a bunch of male participants, and I can't remember exactly how many they did, but male participants were asked to cross one of two bridges. One bridge was a very uh, solid, stout bridge that was extremely safe. And the other one was um, a very kind of rickety, old suspension bridge that would sway over rushing water and was kind of fear-inducing. And then at the the end of both bridges, once you crossed the bridge, you um, uh, there was a, a very good-looking woman there that was at the end that would say, you know, hey, you're you're kind of cute, you know, you here. And they would, she would give the person, uh, his number or her number and say, here, you should, you should give me a call later. Right. And it was all, it was all, uh, isolated. So that the, the people didn't know what was going on, but the, uh, the girl would hand the guy, um, his number or her number. And she would say, you should call me later. Maybe we can go get dinner. Right. And it was the results Basically, and then they would test, they would report or record how many people called that number and called that girl back uh, to go out on a date. And the results were overwhelmingly that the men that crossed the rickety, scary bridged bridge, they called the girl like, a, a, a huge number of times more than the guys that crossed the safe bridge and the sturdy bridge did. And it was saying that the, the assumption was that when men, they got to the other side of the bridge and they confront, were confronted by this beautiful woman, that they confused their... Uh, response, their psychological response to danger in the dangerous bridge and the dangerous situation, they confused that mentally with arousal. 
and attraction or confidence maybe. yeah towards this woman or confidence towards this woman and so the whole thing was that it, it in basically their minds had misinterpreted this danger scenario into kind of arousal and attraction and so it all has to do with perception and that was kind of one thing that I applied to this mass hysteria thing is that a lot of times it's it's all perception. It's all how we we see things in our mind. It's all the the situation, the environment, our relationships, our interactions with other people. And maybe these people at the Salem Witch Trials, maybe they were just scared and that fear and that that nervousness inside of them made them think that they were maybe physically sick and and, and or, or you know it made them act completely irrationally how a normal person that wasn't scared or nervous or threatened acts yeah um and i mean i'm sure there's a bunch of other theories on why exactly things you know this this kind of this mass hysteria exists mm-hmm. um but i think uh i think people feel comfortable together it's interesting because i i just finished a book by uh jocko willink is called um leadership strategy and tactics and one of the things he talks about is in battle he talks about he always tells his men like spread out like don't be near each other because if you have 10 guys that are standing behind one wall, you know, one luckily placed or expertly placed round could kill them all. And so they're always talking to spread her out. And he said, one of the hardest things to do is that people in times of stress bunch together and, you know, you'll get one guy just naturally will go and stand with another guy during a firefight. And then, and then, before you know it, there'll be eight guys standing there together because people just naturally congregate together. It's this like comfort in this blanket. Mm, yeah. And, um, you know, it's just this constant fight to where you're telling people just spread out, spread out, spread <laughs> out. That's cool. Which I thought was kind of interesting. Um, and, and kind of, you know, part of that, that human psychological or psyche that, uh, you know, I don't quite understand, but that's a really, really an interesting thing. Yeah, well, if you're not aware of these types of things, you might not be aware when you're being duped or when you are in mass hysteria situation. Yeah. You know, you can easily be convinced of a bunch of different stuff. Yeah. Well, this has been a great episode. We could, we could probably talk for hours about this yeah. kind of stuff, and, and uh, we didn't have a psychiatrist or a psychologist yeah. on to, to give us all the the dirty deets on these different uh, or a salesman, right? What's the number one <laughs> yeah. sales tactic? Oh, I talked to all your neighbors and they're doing this. Or there's yeah. tons of people that already do this. You know, you try to group people together. If you don't buy now, then I'm not going to be able to give you this deal again. <laughs> yeah, seriously. <laughs> yeah. So, well, thanks all for listening. Uh, and let's go out and build our creed together. All right, let's do it.